HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. We decided it's high time we do an episode about Mary Jane. Marijuana, things are happening. That's right. This episode is about pot. We're exploring the rhetoric surrounding legalization in New York's recent gubernatorial primaries. And a cheesemonger turned cannabis consultant shares the tricks of the trade. Great. So do you want to conquer the world? Do you want to have hazy eyes? Do you want to, you know, just relax all day and be floaty? And we find out how one exemplary South Carolina farmer is trying his hand at a new crop. Every plant that comes up from seed is different. And so it's it's learning how the plant grows, how it responds, and then familiarizing myself and my senses with this plant. Plus, Hannah Forden and I taste test the hottest new cocktail ingredient, CBD. So subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when the newest episode of Meet and 3 drops. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all of my previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetworks.org. And I'm thankful for listeners like you. I'd love it if you would leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. Today's theme, so much flavor in one tiny seed. Sesame seeds. They're small, unassuming, and for a lot of people, they're a thing that gets all over your counter when you're trying to slice a bagel in half before taking a sip of your first morning coffee. But in fact, they're so much more. In 2017, I had the pleasure of visiting Wadaman Foods in Osaka, Japan, a multi-generational business where they make a variety of spectacular sesame products, including oil, paste, and roasted sesame seeds. Walking into the factory, you're hit with a tantalizing smell of a roasty, deep flavor, and as we wound our way through the facility... Looking at the rivers of seeds flowing through sorting and cleaning machines and then on to roasting, it was clear that the Wada family takes their seeds very seriously. The patriarch of the company, who's the head roaster and had roasted seeds six days a week for the last 50 years, told me in no uncertain terms that in his lifetime, he's only had a few perfect roasts. 
The tradition of collecting and using these tiny seeds and turning them into delicious food spans many cultures, from India to Japan, the Middle East to America. Here in the U.S., we most often encounter them, as mentioned, on breads, or in the Middle Eastern paste known as tahini. Used in dips and spreads, as well as baking and desserts like halva, it's just starting to trickle into more common use. My guest today is Shelby Zeidelman. Along with her sisters Jackie and Amy, she started Zoom Foods in their hometown of Philadelphia in 2013 to bring a version of the tahini she'd experienced in Israel to the U.S. market. With a focus on single transparent sourcing and bringing this simple ingredient into more kitchens, Zoom continues to grow. Sesame seems to be a family business wherever I've found it. Thanks, Shelby, for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, I wanted to sort of jump right in and find out uh, why tahini. I know that the, you know, if you can, I would love sort of the genesis story of the company. As I understand it, you were in business school and then you finished up and were hanging out with your sisters and suddenly Zoom was born? Basically, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I had finished business school. I studied business undergraduate and um, a couple of jobs thereafter, I was focused on um, entrepreneurship, helping startup uh, businesses um, develop their business plans in different iterations. Um, And so I've just always had a love of business and, um, you know, this whole process of taking an idea and turning that into um, a feasible business plan. So effectively, um, Tahini, if you will, became our business plan. Um, Hmm. I was, yeah, so I was working in Israel. Uh, My middle sister, Jackie, she lives there, um, and she was dating her now husband, Omri. Omri has been in the Tahini um, and now Sesame industry for a dozen years. And so as I was um, working abroad, I, I had the opportunity to meet my sister's boyfriend and learn a little bit more about his business and the product that he was selling throughout the country of Israel. And t- this tahini was unlike any tahini that I had ever experienced in the United States. And it just uh, it, it opened up my eyes. And, and honestly, it, it um, prompted me to ask a lot of questions about the product. And uh, effectively, those questions, in a way, became a business plan. That's amazing. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the, what was your sort of relationship to Tahini before, um, before you met Omri? Was, I mean, was it something you used regularly? Was it something you felt like was an inferior product already? Uh, to be honest, I love food, but I would in no way consider myself a, a foodie. Sure. Um, even now in, in my business, I have so much respect for those in the culinary world that are professionally trained and, you know, have such a, a deep love and, and um, understanding of food and all its complexities. Um, for me, what I knew of tahini prior to um, this tahini that I tried from Omri, what I knew of it was either an ingredient that you used in hummus or like an ambiguous white sauce kind of bitter <laughs> that you would drizzle onto a falafel sandwich. Like right. it really had no, no meaning for me. Sure. And um, I was just really blown away by, by the tahini that he was selling. It almost tasted like peanut butter. Mm. And I just did not understand how this could then be used to make hummus or how that ever turned into a drizzly white sauce. Right. So it was just almost like it was surprising to me. So tell me about Zoom. I mean, what is what is your process from, you know, where you're sourcing your sesame seeds all the way through to your packaging? Yeah, so what I learned from Omri and uh, about what made this tahini so incredible in Israel was that a lot of the tahini manufacturers um, were using a sesame seed from Ethiopia that's called a white Humera sesame seed, um, Humera being the region of Ethiopia from where these seeds are grown. 
Um, Humera is in the northwestern region of the country. And I like to use the analogy of um, wine or um, coffee, depending on where the grapes grow or where the coffee beans are grown, um, that you know, the terroir has a tremendous impact on the agricultural output. Right. And so this region of Ethiopia, um, you know, it's a, it's a clay soil. It's, it's um, you know, it's an old soil, right? Like the birthplace of mankind, if you will. And this soil just breeds a type of sesame seed and, and the overall conditions breed a sesame seed that just is a plump sesame seed. As you were talking about this manufacturer in, in Japan, I, I was smiling because, you know, th- this type of seed is just exceptional for paste. Mm. Um, the meat to oil ratio, it's about 55 to 45%. So it has a nice oily content that presses into a paste very nicely. And it's not as bitter in flavor. It's, it's more nutty. It's a bit bolder. And so the, so, you know, this Ethiopian seed, um, really became kind of the epicenter of our interest in, um, in the, in the tahini. And so we source our seeds from Ethiopia. Now my brother-in-law, Omri, he is, um, on the importing side. Uh, importing um, from Ethiopia to Israel, where our uh, where our tahini is manufactured, we work with a um, we co-manufacture um, abroad in Israel, and then from Israel we bring that over to North Philadelphia, where we warehouse our product, distribute the product, and all of the sales and marketing and administrative magic happen from here. Got it. So all of your seeds then are coming from Ethiopia. Yes. When I was in Japan, they actually had different kinds of seeds for different uses from different places. Mm-hmm. I definitely saw bags that were marked Ethiopia, and then they had black sesame seeds uh, that I believe were grown in South America. Um, mm-hmm. It was a, it was it was interesting because you know I mean as a like I said as a you know when I was growing up sesame seeds came on bagels and that was kind of the only place right. you ever found. Them. I mean I loved them and I especially thought they I always I always felt like they tasted really good when they came out of the toaster right because they had gotten roasted uh-huh. in the process. Um, but I had never sort of considered the fact that they were being some would be better for oil and some would be better for paste uh, based on the makeup of the actual seed in that particular cultivar. Yeah, and and that's what you know that's what we've been saying and trying to to educate folks about. And I really love your opening so much is that like it's such an um, unassuming little seed it's so tiny but you know there are so many um, complex flavors that come from the seed in so many different iterations that I, I do think have been often overlooked because especially as American consumers we typically encounter sesame seeds on bagels or you know now on on sushi rolls or burger yeah. buns you know but it doesn't have as pronounced of a of a um, place in our overall cuisine as it does in other cultures. And I think your comparison to peanut butter is a wonderful one. My son is allergic to peanuts. And so Mm -hmm. we're often looking for alternatives um, to provide him, you know, with a quick snack that is, you know, high in protein, high in fat. He's four and a half. He's growing. He's running all the time. He needs that energy. Um, And, you know, so the the idea of being able to use sesame for that is a great one. And you're right. A lot of the sort of, uh, you know, large-scale commercial sesame or tahini that's available does have that kind of bitter flavor when I feel like, you know, if you if you blend that into a hummus, if you're blending it with other things, um, that's not necessarily a problem. Um, and you may want something more savory, but certainly if right. you're comparing it to something like a nut butter, it needs to have that sweetness. It, totally. And, you know, two things come to mind as you're, um, as you're sharing that story. Um, or, you know, the example about your son is... Um, well, one, when we first started selling our tahini and um, we would offer folks to try it with a spoon, we had a lot of, you know, kind of 
reserved or surprised faces that we would suggest that they try the tahini just plain. I think because there had been that, you know, experience of just like a very bitter product that why would I ever want to eat it on its own? It's supposed to be mixed in with other (laughs) things. Um, So there's that, um, you know, and then also to your point about a nut butter alternative, that's something that we've become increasingly more um, interested in from a marketing and consumer education perspective, this whole kind of health and wellness world and and dietary preferences, um, you know, it's not obviously an exact one for one, both based on taste and consistency, but there are certain instances in which tahini can be substituted for peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And I also, I have a young son, he's um, almost three and a half, and I'll send him to school with a tahini and jelly sandwich. Or if you mix tahini with a little bit of honey, it it creates a, a sweeter um, tahini spread, and then it does, um, you know, develop a more spreadable consistency, which is more reminiscent of peanut butter. Right. Um, but my husband too is allergic to peanuts, and when we started this business, he was ecstatic because he's <laughs> like, "I feel like I can have peanut butter now." I mean, you know? I, I, I'm sure that it is no, uh, no, you know, not just a coincidence uh, then that your packaging looks a lot like a Western peanut butter jar. Yeah. Yes. That. Uh, Thank you for noticing. It was an intentional decision um, as we were looking at the brands that were on the shelves when we started the um, when we started the company. A lot were in these, um, you know, kind of uh, white jars, or you couldn't see through into the inside. And the reason being that um, a lot of the manufacturers didn't want to show the oil separation. Oh, um, and for us, actually, we were riding on the coattails of this natural peanut butter trend, hmm. in which. Yes, it's not the most, you know, appealing site, but it's not um, foreign. Right. And now the consumer knows, okay, you just stir well to reblend. So we thought that it was important that folks were able to see inside of the jar and to know what they were, you know, what they were getting, um, as opposed to trying to hide that um, behind something that was not see-through. The first year or two of our company, we were trying to position the product as sesame butter, um, to strike that similarity, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't very well received then. I wonder if we tried it again, if that would be better understood. But it is effectively the same process. Yeah, I mean, so you know that that actually leads into my next question, which is about where does your product get placed in grocery stores? You know, is it something that appears, uh, you know, for lack of a lack of a better way to describe it, in the ethnic aisle, uh, <laughs> or is it something that appears in the natural aisle? Is it something that appears in the peanut butter aisle, or perhaps all of those places in different stores? But how how are you trying to position it? Yeah, so we have been trying to position it in the nut butter aisle, and that is currently where we're placed in most of the retailers. Um, it's still hard because it's not. I think it's really the consistency that throws people for a loop. Yeah. You know, it's not spreadable. It right. can be, but, it, you know, it's it's more fine. And so um, I think that that is, you know, why it had been in that kind of ambiguous ethnic or right. ingredients aisle for so long. Uh, but I do believe that as people become more familiar with the product and understand the similarities to alternative nut butters, that it will continue to grow its presence in that in that place of the grocery. And you guys have two, uh, you have two tahini products, right? One is like a, is a pure tahini and then the mm-hmm. other one is with chocolate. Yeah. So, um, tahini and then as inspired by, um, what you mentioned in your opening, the, um, the Middle Eastern dessert halva, um, it's a, uh, chocolate tahini halva spread, um, that's made from three ingredients, our tahini, cocoa powder, and pure cane powdered sugar. 
it rivals some of the leading chocolate spreads, if I may say so myself, <laughs> with half half the sugar um, per serving. And then you have all the amazing nutritional benefits of sesame being the protein, calcium, and, and iron. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. That's great. And then you have a, a recent, uh, or I guess a new product to your line. Can you tell me a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, so this one's a little scary, to be honest, because it's not <laughs> it's not tahini. And it's not um, sesame-based, right? This is a, an expansion right, exactly. of the line. Right, exactly. It's not sesame-based. It's called Silan in, um, in Hebrew, um, it, which means it's a date syrup. So it is a syrup made from 100% uh, steamed and pressed dates. It has a consistency similar to a molasses and a flavor, I mean, like a dried, delicious dried date. Um, and similar to tahini, the reason why we um, brought this product into our portfolio is it's a single agricultural input. We're talking about just dates. And it is a delicious, nutritious, and versatile ingredient that complements tahini like peanut butter and jelly. Right. Um, so we are really excited about it. But, um, you know, as we've been talking tahini for five years, it is a little bit um, <laughs> daunting to bring a non-sesame-based product into the mix. I mean, it sounds delicious. Is that product also manufactured in Israel? It is, yeah. And then where are the dates grown for that? Those dates are grown throughout Israel. Got it. That's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think it. I think it makes sense to to identify those complementary things um, to be able to expand your brand presence, right? I mean, you know, you didn't name the company Sum Sesame. You named it Sum. No, Foods, we didn't. So. But interestingly, in Hebrew, Sum Sum is sesame, so ah. there are um, <laughs> origins from from sesame. Got it. Um, but no, you know, it was. Um, I, I think as any growing company experiences, um, there are opportunities to evolve and you know identify um, just kind of new directions to grow. And, and interestingly, as you and I have been talking about grocery store, um, a big part of our business is in the food service world, servicing restaurants and chefs with our products. And often we would go into these meetings, you know, presenting our tahini and chocolate tahini, and, and they would ask, what else do you have? Right. And we said, well, th this is what we have. Are you right. looking for anything else? And, and we heard Ceylon and, and this date syrup a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so um, we just kind of had our ear to the wind, and um, I'm really excited to be rolling out with this product. I mean, that's a great way to be, to, to really respond to your customers, you know, to respond to the retailers who you're selling to. And if it's a product they're looking for, then, you know, it should be a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Let you know how it goes in the next couple months. Thanks. We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. Uh, when we come back, I want to sort of talk about uh, an anecdote that you uh, that you wrote to me about before the show about an experience at a cheese counter. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise in affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. 
In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Next time you step up for the intention. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and if you're just joining me, I'm speaking with Shelby Zeidelman from Sum Foods today. Before the break, we were talking about their tahini, uh, where they source everything, where the sesame seeds come from, their new product called Ceylon, which is a date syrup. Um, Shelby, when we were emailing uh, you know, some questions before, uh, before this interview, you had recounted a, a, an anecdote um, about a kind of not great customer service experience you had. Can you tell me about that? Mm-hmm. Um, the, so the story I shared was, um, my, so my dad, our dad is an avid biker and, um, one of our weekend activities that we would do when we were growing up was to take a bike ride from, we grew up in the DC area. Um, so we would bike from Bethesda down to Georgetown, um, and always as a reward for the first half of our trip, we would stop and grab a bite to eat. So, um, after one of our bike rides, we stopped into, um, you know, a, a specialty grocery store. Um, I was craving some uh, brie cheese, so I went up to the um, the cheese counter and I asked for a piece of, of brie, and the guy behind the counter asked me what type of brie, and as I was, you know, explaining before, I'm not so much of a foodie, I didn't know that much about different types of brie, so I said, I would like um, a piece of soft brie, please. And the guy behind the counter just like laughed at me and was like, all brie is soft. And I just looked at him like feeling so embarrassed and so ashamed of my lack of knowledge. I was like, um, okay, then which do you recommend? You know, like, I mean, I feel like, and that, that, I feel like that is a, you know, that's a big problem in the specialty food world. I mean, you know, people kind of, you know, either make an assumption that everybody should know, Right. Which doesn't make any sense at all because there's so much information out there and there's all of these products. And, you know, the idea really should be about sharing knowledge Mm -hmm. and and educating. And so rather than use that as as an opportunity to say to you, oh, well, we have these brie from three different producers and one might have goat milk in it. And this is a goat like, you know, this is a brie like cheese, you know, that is made from sheep's milk or whatever. He just kind of like, you know, blew it off as kind of a, you know as a dumb thing and made you feel like you didn't know what you were talking about, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because I mean, when you asked me the question, it was open-ended. I could have written about anything and sure. for some reason <laughs> that came to mind. And then as I was, I was trying to, you know, think about why did I share that story? And I, I've realized that at Sum Foods, that's the opposite approach that we've taken to tahini hmm. is we have wanted to be that, connection point. We've wanted to be that um, voice of education so that tahini isn't just this ethnic ingredient that's really difficult to access and almost more difficult to know how to use. We've wanted to make it accessible and exciting and inspirational and something that everyone can connect with. And, you know, doing that by telling the story about tahini and its production and where sesame seeds come from, like all of that is layered into um, the education. And, and I do, you know, feel um, has really enabled us to connect better with the end users because of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a you know, I think that's a really it's an it's important, especially when you're dealing with an ingredient that may not be in in normal everyday usage in someone's sort of kitchen mm-hmm. canon, right? Um, and the goal, obviously, you know, for, for for any food brand is not just to be a one time purchase. Um, right. you, know, you don't you don't want someone just to try it once. You want someone to try it and then incorporate it into their cooking and incorporate it into their food and have it as their regular afternoon snack, because that will help support your brand. And then, of course, then they're eating delicious food every day. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have worked very hard on showcasing the versatility of the product, Um, you know, recipes that include hummus and more ethnic, you know, applications, baba ganoush and um, salad dressings, but also kind of bringing it a bit more mainstream. So we have a recipe for a vegan mac and cheese that uses tahini instead of, yeah, sometimes cashew butter you'll find in those recipes. So vegan mac and cheese, we bring it into smoothies. We're making... You know, um, we have a pesto, we have cookies, like a whole variety of uses for the product that really do help to expand the user's um, perception of, of how this could be used in their kitchen. Do you ever have a moment where you are looking at one of the, your jars or even I assume, your ta- I, mean, I assume you taste competitors' jars of tahini and you just can't yeah. fathom tasting any more tahini? <laughs> um, no. So I eat a lot of tahini. I, I, not ev- I used to eat it every day. Now it's not as every day because, to be honest, I'm just not eating particularly well these days with two little kids. I, like, forget yeah, to eat. Sure. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, I haven't reached that, you know, max out point. Um, the, one, the one time that I did kind of get uh, sick of tahini was, um, and this is kind of crazy, but I was using tahini as a face mask for wow. a little while. Um, yeah, sesame is really good for hair, skin, and nails. Hmm. Um, and sesame oils you'll find in a lot of uh, beauty products, natural products. Um, so I was trying, I was using it just straight up on my face, and my skin was amazing, but I didn't like the smell of tahini <laughs> on my face. So how long did I you leave it on? That. I would leave it on for about um, ten minutes okay. or so, and then I would just take it off with a, a hot. Um, Cloth. Yep. It, there's um, a movement now in skincare. Uh, it's like oil pulling is what it's called. Yep. And so um, it, it was basically that. Uh, and uh, yeah, just the smell of having tahini on my face for 10 minutes wasn't my favorite. And what about your what about your family? I mean, you know, I assume that everyone in your family, you know, when you come when you come over, I imagine that like the jar of sum ends up on the counter and they try to, you know, make yeah. sure they're showing you that they're enjoying the product. Is there anybody in your family that like doesn't like it or is everybody on board with Tahini? Oh, I I guess if they're not, they haven't told me. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is really rewarding. It took our grandmother a little time to come around to Tahini. Uh, interesting. Only because yeah, um, and the thing that um, kind of got her on board was when Dr. Oz talked about tahini on his show. <laughs> she then immediately called us, and she she said, hey, girls, Dr. Oz is talking about tahini. Did you know it was so good for you? And we just laughed. Yes, Grandy, yes. You know, we're glad you know, too. And now she's a big fan and uses it a lot. That's great. Uh, what are some of the challenges of running a business with family? Oh, um, I'll start by saying, yeah, um, so my sisters and I, um, are very, we have very complementary skills and complementary interests. And I think that that has allowed us to create 
a business like working with any partners, right? Like you need a um, shared vision and a shared understanding of where you're going, but then also kind of defer to the other's roles and responsibilities when yep. decisions need to be made in those areas. Um, and then two, we grew up in kind of a family of family businesses, if you will. So we were always surrounded by this ethos of family and business together. Um, but, it, you know, it is challenging, especially when, um, you know, there are tense moments or decisions that need to be made that doesn't reach consensus and, you know, just kind of putting ego to the side and yeah. um, and being able to to achieve kind of the common, common ground. Um, and then also just kind of hushing up about business right. at family events or at the dinner table or whatever it might be, it's sometimes hard to turn off. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we're finding other things to talk about. <laughs> so um, I, I will say that that's probably the biggest challenge for us. Yeah. Uh, and as far as other new products, do you guys have other things in the pipeline that you're willing to, to mention, other things in, in R&D? We've been working on a few other um, sweet variations, like the chocolate um, tahini halva spread. Um, so those are in the pipeline, but not ready to come out of the vault yet. Um, honestly, because the chocolate tahini hasn't taken off yet. Mm. Um, it's a product that sells really well when people try it. Right. And, but, you know, especially in a grocery store environment, which you can't be there all day, every day sampling out the product. Um, it's been a little bit slower to, um, to convert in the sales, but I, I'm confident that it will. Um, especially with like dessert hummus being all the rage, maybe chocolate tahini is next in line. Um, and then once that does, I think we'll we'll come out with some some other uh, sweet variations. Cool. I have to confess, as someone who does not have a big sweet tooth, I was hoping that you were going to say something in the more like savory or spicy. Oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, you know, we're also evaluating how Ceylon works in our portfolio, meaning creating pro or bringing products to market that are not in the sesame world. Yep. And so I think that that would uh, very much open up opportunities for some more savory ingredients from, you know, this part of the world. Yeah. Just, you know, being the Middle East. Yep. So it having just been Rosh Hashanah, uh, I mean, this episode is airing in, in, a, in a few weeks from when we are recording it, but having just been Rosh Hashanah, you mentioned that you, the best thing that you ate recently was your mom's brisket. And I have numerous times on this show talked about brisket. It comes up a lot for some reason. Um, and I've always been interested in the sort of idea behind the fact that everybody's, at least in my experience, like everybody's American Jewish diaspora grandma or mom has a brisket yeah. recipe and everybody loves their mom or their grandma's brisket recipe and they're all so different i met someone recently whose uh grandmother's recipe included dr pepper which was sort of <laughs> almost like a texas barbecue thing but like it was oh. cooked like you know it was, it was cooked in the oven like a like a jewish style brisket you mentioned that your mom uses orange juice in hers yeah uh, my grandmother's was a can of tomatoes and then you filled the can with cheap red wine and poured in the wine as well, mm-hmm. uh, and and Lipton uh, Lipton onion soup mix, dry Lipton uh-huh. onion soup mix was my grandmother's like secret ingredient. That's amazing. Yeah, the ver- uh, That's what I love about. Um, I, I know it's not specific to, to Jewish yeah, cooking, sure. but like the role of tradition in cooking and just the nostalgia that it evokes. It's. I, I don't know any, from any other culture because this is my own experience. But yeah. There's really something beautiful around um, how food connects us with 
or me, you know, with, with my family's traditions. Absolutely. And also that those were created at some point, right? I mean, my, my grandmothers, or if it was <laughs> right. my great grandmothers, I mean, you know, may, I don't know, my great grandmother may have decided one day in the fifties to like sprinkle, you know, French onion soup mix on the right. brisket or someone told her to, or it was at the checkout aisle at the King Cullen or whatever it is. And now it's a thing, right? Like now everyone in my family, I do it, my cousins uh-huh. do it, my aunt does it, you know, like we all do it and it's our family's recipe. So I think that's also uh-huh. super exciting that, you know, especially you have a family business. And so I would hope that there are some recipes that you're creating for Zoom that then in, you know, 50 years are going to be somebody's family recipe, right? Using tahini. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm most curious about this Dr. Pepper. Like what happened in which the person thought, wow, this would, let's try Dr. Pepper and see how it, it turns out. Yeah. I mean, you I, know, you know like, I, <laughs> but I guess, but I guess it, it it's funny because I, I often think about that with tahini. Like I, I want to know that moment or that discovery when someone realized that sesame seeds could be turned into tahini. Like, right. Did someone step on a pile and they turned into the paste and then they picked up the paste and said, all right, like, let's try to put this through a mill, you know, <laughs> like you just, yeah, you need that kind of R&D and experimentation throughout the centuries to bring these sorts of products and, and recipes to life. Do you have any idea how many seeds are in each jar of Zoom? Oh, so the yield is like 85%. Okay. Um, so in terms of quantity of seeds, I don't know. I, I, I can get back to you on that. I'll have an, an intern start counting, um, you know, a pound plus 15% or whatever right. of, of sesame seeds. But it's a lot. Right. And that's um, what's really like, uh, we're actually heading to Ethiopia um, just after this episode will air, um, October 15th, for the sesame harvest. Just the, the sheer amount of product uh, that needs to be harvested in order to make just tahini and just tahini for Sume foods. And then you extrapolate that across all of the tahini manufacturers. Sure, and and sesame oil and all the other things. Oh my God. Imagine the quantity of seeds. Yeah. That's little, amazing. little seeds. It's amazing. Well, I mean, I will certainly be following, and listeners, you can follow along on Instagram. I'm sure you'll be posting yeah. from the mm-hmm. harvest. Uh, so you can find Zoom Foods on Instagram uh, and Facebook and Twitter, uh, Zoom Foods with an S on the end, and yeah. the website is ZoomFoods.com. You can order the tahini and the chocolate halva spread and the salon uh, direct off the site. Um, but where, and then do you guys have a store locator on the site so people can find out if their local grocery is carrying it? Yeah, we do. If you go to uh, com backslash find us, um, are all the list of our retailers. Awesome. Well, um, do you have any anything else coming up? Any events where you guys are going to be presenting that listeners should know about? Um, a couple of small ones here and there. My sister and I are presenting at a conference in Philadelphia called Fearless Con. We'll be at the Well Summit in Brooklyn coming up um, at the beginning of October. That's really... That's really it. You know, we um, like to get involved with local community events, so we're sponsoring a couple of, um, you know, auctions and things like that. But nothing too big on the radar. We're not very good event planners, to be honest. <laughs> well, I look forward to, uh, to to watching the harvest and seeing uh, seeing Thanks. what new products come out and where you guys head next. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you, Harry. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show and reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.